0: The children can be dismissed to Sunday school. You who remain, you'll want to turn to 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 11. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 11. Now I believe in public displays of affection. And I was to kiss my wife before I came up here, and I got distracted. So, honey, I'm sorry. Uh, um, I have a few things to mention, and then we're going to pray, just a couple. One is that you have been invited as the church that has made all the difference in helping establish uh, the clinic at Neighborhood Fellowship. Javier, Dr. Sevilla, uh, as his students know him, uh, called me 13 years ago and said, forgive me, I love Javier's accent, Gene, I'd like to start a clinic at Neighborhood Fellowship. And my answer to him was, I've been praying for you, not just me, the whole church. We've been praying for you for 12 years. Come on in. Now, I want to be very clear, this is connected to the message in this regard, eventually, after working through the conversation, he said, one more thing, Gene, I want the students to know you, the church. I said, you want us to evangelize the doctors? And he said, exactly. Many of his students don't know anything about the Lord, you are invited for our Sunday dedication in September on the 18th in the afternoon, the details of what time in the afternoon have escaped me. Um, But please, we're going to come and make sure that that wonderful place uh, that will be finished this week will be uh, given wholeheartedly to the Lord. It already is. Uh, It is a platform for ministry. One other connection, Uh, Sherry Miller-Millard would love some help. Talk to her about how you can be a help connecting with uh, some projects with Neighborhood Academy. Now, let's pray. Father, we come before you, and if you do not fill us with your spirit, the preaching will be more than adequate in the sense that your word will be read, but it won't make a difference. And Lord, if we don't have ears to hear, it won't make a difference. So we pray now that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts, fill us in such a deep way that we can receive the Word of God and be changed into the image of Christ. Lord, we need you. and We thank you for the songs praised to you. We truly must have a savior. We thank you for the testimony where you have turned the whole world upside down and we find out with the Spalniks, nope, it's right side up now. Lord, we thank you for the testimonies we've heard. Now, Lord, we pray that as the word of God is preached, that we would not only hear, but become doers, bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter five verse eleven, the apostle Paul has been talking about, we will come before the judgment seat of Christ. In verse 10, in fact, let me read that. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We all will appear. Now, our appearance before the Lord. If we know the Lord is not about our salvation, that has been accomplished. But what we've done with this salvation, obedience, whether we've been Christ to this world, we'll be judged and there'll be benefit. And there will be some sadness. That's why some tears will need to be wiped away in those last days. Verse 11, though, Because of this and because of the great work of Christ, because he loves us so much, verse 11 brings us to the therefore. And if you've ever heard me, if I get to a therefore, I point out that the old preachers would say, I love the therefore because I want to know what the therefore is. Therefore. And it gives instruction. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, We respect the Lord. We're going to stand before the Lord. We persuade men. Now, if this persuasion in this part of the passage is about salvation, the Corinthians have already received Christ. Um, It might be talking about the... Ministry of reconciliation we're going to talk about as we come through this passage, but it seems that the apostle Paul is explaining that his apostleship mattered because there were false teachers coming in and saying, who is Paul? What does his message matter? And, and he, is, he is not a person that is uh, so impressive. He might be impressive in letters, but not so much in person. And they would judge the Apostle Paul because of his humility or because of his zeal, because of how he expressed himself. They were not judging the Apostle Paul appropriately. And he wanted to say, my apostleship matters because the message I bring matters. It comes from God. We persuade men. But we are made manifest to God and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. God knows what we're up to. I don't need to defend myself. And you Corinthians, you know I spent 18 months with you. You saw both the preaching and the life. I hope that your conscience about me is right. We are not again, commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, that you may have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. And that was what the Pharisees did. That's what the false teachers did. Appearance mattered much more to them. For the Pharisees, it was phylacteries, scripture on their forehead or on their arm. It was long tassels, it was long prayers. They wanted to look good in public, but their hearts weren't right. For the false teachers, they wanted large crowds to follow. They wanted resource. And we can understand in an American culture, those who have the most are the most impressive. But when Jesus describes himself, he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This is in Luke chapter 9. So if we're judging by outward appearances, the Lord was nothing. By those standards, so the apostle points out that these who judge in other ways are judging not according to God, but according to to appearances, and not in heart. And then this section ends with verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, this expression, outside my body, I'm not thinking right, I'm acting in a particular way, was exactly what they said about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've got Bibles anywhere near you, Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he came home, and the multitudes gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. People were so busy pursuing Christ that he and his disciples couldn't sort anything out, not even time to eat. Verse 21. And when He, his own people heard of this, his own family. They went out to take custody of him, and they were saying, he's lost his senses. He's beside himself. Same words. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and he casts out the demons by the rulers of the demons. If they'll say these things about our Lord, certainly they'll say them about Paul, and some will say this about you. (laughs) Uh, They're just so zealous about religious things. What is the matter with that person? They're beside themselves. They're out of their mind. They're thinking in terms of heaven rather than the things of the earth. The very opposite of what we're commanded to do. Set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. And when you do that, you look like a person beside themselves. Well, if I ever wander into Mark chapter 3, i like to point out a few things. So I hope you didn't turn back. You will turn back. Don't worry. Um, Verse 23, and he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Then verse 31, and his mother, so his family is still around, his mother and his brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him and a multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you and Answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around on those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. You all are family if you do the will of God. And the person on another continent, from another ethnicity, from another language, are part of Jesus' family, and we better relate to them like their family. Who is Jesus' family? Those who hear and do the will of God. Back to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter. Uh, Sorry, chapter, chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. And this word for control means it's a force we must deal with. It's like hurricane winds. It has an effect. It is pushing us. The love of Christ is controlling us. It is pushing us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Now, there are those who are universalists who say, well, if Jesus died for everyone, his blood was uh, sufficient, and his blood was sufficient to pay for sins, but it wasn't applied to everyone because there's a matter of faith and obedience and calling. Many are called, but few are chosen. God is the one at work. But if you are in Christ, you died with Jesus. Now, this is a concept that's hard to get our head around, but we'll eventually get to what it means. Verse 15, and he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We don't live the same life we used to. We live for the one we love, the Savior. The love of God controls us. We are changed people. We're going to act differently because we live for Him. Now, Neighborhood Fellowship has been preaching through the book of Galatians now for, oh, uh, the last four or five months. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If there's any verse that uh, you need to understand this exchange life where Jesus died for me and I now live for him, Galatians chapter 2, 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I died with Jesus. I am that identified with Jesus. I died and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Years ago there were those bracelets, what would Jesus do, and I didn't like them very much. They just irritated me because um, uh, it uh, it wasn't that it was a wrong thought, it was how it was generally applied that when I was stuck, I'd look at my bracelet and go, oh, well, what would Jesus do? No! It's not when I'm stuck, it's all the time. My life was exchanged. I live the life that Jesus Christ would live if he were standing right in front of you every moment. So do you or so should you, that is the goal, that's the plan, that's the call, this passage. I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. We walk by faith, we were saved by faith, we continue in faith, we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit did this wonderful work, we are in harmony with the Spirit, we live the life of Christ Out in the world, I now live, sorry, I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. He loved me so much, he sacrificed for me. I want to read that one last verse in this chapter, though. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died uh, needlessly. A lot of Christians say, well, yes, I was saved by faith. Oh, sorry, faith is over here. Uh, I saved by faith. Uh, God did this wonderful work, but now I've got to live by a list of rules. That list of rules, maybe the Old Testament law, that was what the Galatians were hearing from the Judaizers. I'm going to live by rules now. No. We now live as Jesus would. This is not a rules-based religion. It is a relationship-based religion. Jesus is living his life out in me. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we hear that he rose again on our behalf, and then we get to verse 16, one of my favorite words, therefore. We get a couple of more therefores. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. I like the New American Standard. It is almost wooden in its translation, and I like that because it's almost word for word from the Greek. I mean, just it doesn't give a lot of nuance or interpretation. And we'll get to where one word they assumed where they shouldn't have. But this awkward statement tells us that Paul. And we used to look at everybody according to what our eyes could tell us. And Paul looked at Jesus exactly that way. He thought of Jesus as some itinerant preacher from Galilee who had nothing and wasn't trained and wasn't leading, and then he was changed by the Son of God, and he understood the Son of God has come. And he, didn't, he no longer looked at Jesus as just some man walking the earth, spreading opinions about the law, spreading teachings that were his own. He was the very fulfillment of the Old Testament. The promises of the Messiah had come. He was God. And Paul understood these things. And he says, we understood Jesus, him. He understood Jesus with his eyes. It wasn't good enough. But there's another implication. We can look at each other with our eyes and measure one another by, men, you hear this, what do you do for a living? Right? And ladies, where do your kids go to school? Um, Oh, what neighborhood do you live in? There are all sorts of cultural evaluations that people will have. We do not value people based upon what they got or what they know. We value people and know them because of their hearts if they're like Jesus. And even if they're bad at being like Jesus, if they're brothers and sisters, we are told to do good to all men, especially the household of faith. So therefore, we don't recognize anyone according to the flesh. Verse 17, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Something has changed. You're not who you were. Now, when I was a kid and uh, I hugged Steve Wynn earlier, and by the way, I've known I have known Steve for 40 years. Um, He is definitely old. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He was the first person I'd met at Zionsville Fellowship. And so many of you have spent a lifetime knowing me and my family and our ministry and then Neighborhood Fellowship. And we love you dearly. God brought us into relationship, and it has been sweet and dear. But when I was a kid at the camp that I met Steve at, we memorized this verse, and I thought it was a call to get a list together. Um, There was an old saying, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. There are lots of little things that are ridiculous. Um, and that was a ridiculous saying, but it was a list of rules. When instead we were deeply called to a relationship of faith, of faith, and not only of faith that can be explained because God is rational, but of faith and walking with the Spirit, Him living His life, Christ living His life out of us. We are the Christ, we are the Scripture, we are the people that display the splendors of heaven to this world who may never touch a Bible. Verse 18, now all these things are from God, and this is the point of the message. So in a moment I'm going to tell you all, look at your feet, okay, lift your feet, okay? These feet are important. And I'll be specific. Two years ago, um, I was starting to get ill. Really, it was a year and a half ago, I was starting to get ill. By the way, your prayers have mattered in my life. Many of you know that I had pancreatic cancer, and uh, through Whipple surgery and chemotherapy, you prayed. You prayed. And many folk here have suffered with cancer and other illnesses and you have prayed and it has been wonderful Um, to the Henry family. Where are you? Somebody, some Henry, raise your, there you are. Um, uh, On my feed came Haley's uh, uh, Riley thing yesterday, I went, wow, wow, Uh, it was wonderful. A reminder that God has been busy even in our illnesses and in our trouble. And as the Spalniks talked about uh, uh, these things, we start to hear God turned our world upside down, but no, He turned it right side up. God is busy at work. Oh, I was talking about feet. A year and a half ago, my feet didn't work. I came home in a wheelchair. It took a long time to get to a walker. I got to a walker, and then I was on a cane for months. Um, And uh, I saw a physical therapist uh, last week, and this 25-year-old said, you fold up pretty good, but you're better than me. Um, uh, Things have changed, but that great illness was terrible. And I want to thank you for praying me through it and, uh, and thank you for praying each other through these things because God is the one in charge and I am praying for many of you as you suffer. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All this passage is getting to the point, what does God want from you? It is, he has given you and me the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he was, sorry, and he has committed to us, the word of reconciliation. We've got three more verses that I'm going to deal with. But God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. And he has given you the power to express the word of reconciliation. Turn in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10. And Paul puts it in a very particular way to the Roman church that will begin to sound like Therefore, what do I do? Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This promise to you and to me. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. It didn't matter if they were Jewish or Gentile. It didn't matter if they were barbarian or Greek. It didn't matter what language they came from. It doesn't matter what nationality they have, what ethnicity. It didn't matter what class they came from. Whosoever will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Good question. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Paul is getting personal. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, I'm a preacher. I'm loud. Is he talking about me? Not in 2 Corinthians he isn't. He's talking about all of us. Let's go on. We'll get to the feet. How shall they preach unless they are sent? Zionville Fellowship sent me out years ago. Do you need an official sending? I'm officially sending you. Okay. But Paul already did, and God already did. He has given you the ministry of reconciliation, all of us. How shall they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Everybody shake your feet if you can. A year and a half ago, I couldn't. Shake your feet. Are your feet beautiful right now? Are you you telling people about Jesus? Will your feet be beautiful this afternoon? Well, no, but maybe next week I've got a plan. Brothers and sisters, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Verse 16, a reminder. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our report? Not everybody's going to listen. But how beautiful are your feet if you're bringing good news. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Brings us back to that 2 Corinthians passage. What do we have? The word of Christ, the logos of Christ. That's what the passage uses. It's the true word of Christ. So 2 Corinthians, we'll finish this up, it says, Verse 19, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us, all of us, the word of reconciliation, the logos, the true word. Therefore, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. Now, this is where the New American Standard gets one word sideways. They assume a you here. And uh, so I'll read how they've translated it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating us or through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Now, the Corinthians needed to be reconciled to each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, during the communion passage, it says, of course there have to be divisions among you so that you know which ones have God's approval. But this passage should not assume this you, and it should say, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg on behalf of, of Christ be reconciled to God. Um, Mark is praying loud in restaurants. By the way, I do too. I get a lot of attention in restaurants. It's a little strange. (laughs) We need to beg, come to Christ. We beg, come, we plead, come. God has given us ministry of reconciliation, we are ambassadors. You are an ambassador of Christ and if the ambassador to the United Nations from the U.S. talked about what China was doing, uh, China would be offended and so would the uh, President of the United States. What do you talk about? You? What do you talk about? Sports? No, we are ambassadors for Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus took our place on the cross, and He took the punishment as though He had sinned. He so identified with us that the Scripture here says, he became sin for us. Not he was sinful. He became sin and it was punished. And we then exchanged our position with Christ and we became righteousness. Now that is a legal reality, but it needs to be a practical reality. We not only legally are Seen by God as righteous, we act right. It's one thing to be seen as righteousness. Now we have the power to do what's right. Brothers and sisters, are your feet beautiful? If they aren't, will they be? Let's pray, and then I know that Taylor's going to come up and give a true benediction. But I want to pray for me and you that we're faithful to this passage. Father, help us to have beautiful feet. In Jesus' name, amen.